And thank you, Derek. Well, good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, GCFL. It's good to see you here this morning, uh, particularly if uh, perhaps you are worshiping with us maybe for the, the first time today. Maybe you're in on a holiday weekend. Uh, it's great to have you here, and uh, certainly pray that the Lord would continue to minister uh, His grace to your heart uh, today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19, right in the middle of your Bibles, and as you're turning there, let me just uh, highlight two things. Number one, this will, I guess, officially close our summer series in the Psalms, which I guess that means summer is over. Okay. Okay, we're going to pray for contentment. We're going to pray for joy in every circumstance, every season, but I, I hear that. I'm, I'm kind of with you. We, it feels like we kind of got... Uh, a shorter summer this year, didn't we? Which I don't know what that means for anything. The Lord is in control of seasons. We're just going to trust him and we will pray for contentment. All that to say, uh, this is our last uh, series in the Psalms here. We'll pick that up next summer. So if you're dying to get to Psalm 20, you just got a year. Just wait a year. Next Sunday, though, we'll be back in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 6. I'm excited to jump back into that Gospel, all that Mark has for us. And uh, so you can be reading and praying uh, in advance. Second thing, next Sunday morning, 8.45, right here, uh, there's a members meeting. So I want to encourage you uh, members to be here. If you're not a member, you're welcome to come. Uh, and you'll find a little bit more, uh, uh, there's some uh, information we want to share with you, a little bit of what's on the heart of the elders, some of the things we're thinking, praying about. Obviously some uh, reminders as we head into the fall here as well. So I want to encourage you to be here, 8.45 uh, next Sunday morning. If you're able to, please stand as I read Psalm 19. Verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent, set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth, all of them, and I'll speak a lot of them, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We live in a very noisy world. There's a lot of noise around us and I don't think that appears to be lessening, if anything, Day to day, week to week, that, that noise just seems to continue. I wonder if you've ever felt like, could we just make it all stop? Is there a way that someone 
can make it all stop, the constant banter, the incessant bickering, the hot takes, the opinions, the podcasts, the blogs, the breaking news, the headlines. Do you ever just feel like you just want to go to your basement or your backyard, plug your ears, maybe just wait? I have a good friend who recently took a, what he called a, a social media fast. So for one month, he, he didn't well, he didn't surf the net, he didn't post anything on Facebook or Twitter, he didn't scan the headlines for breaking news, he, he didn't stream any shows. He, he basically just did enough to keep his job, which was to respond to some phone calls and to send some emails back and forth. And he said it was actually one of the best things that he's done for his soul and in his spiritual life in the last 15 years. It reduced the noise, the noise around him and as he would say, the, the noise within him. Now, that makes sense, but a, a, a fast, even a, a social media fast, uh, like I'm talking about here, whether that's for a few days or a few days longer, it's, it's worthwhile insofar as it actually does reduce the noise and the distractions around us, but only as it then creates some necessary time and space to actually hear from the Lord. Because it's his voice that we Christians absolutely need to hear. And there's one voice that our lives are dependent upon hearing. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's not the people around you. It's, it's the Lord's voice. In fact, our, our lives depend on God speaking and on us responding to what he has said. And when we're inundated and surrounded by hot takes and TikTok messages, it's actually easy to forget that our God actually speaks and that he is still speaking to us today and that he is actually eager to speak to us today. One of the first things we actually learn about God in the Bible is that he talks. He communicates. Genesis 1, 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was. So our God has taken the initiative to communicate to his people. He, he speaks with us. He's a speaking God. And from that point in Genesis, God really hasn't stopped speaking to us. It's, in fact, part of his character. It's intrinsic to who he is. Now, when I say that God hasn't stopped speaking since Genesis 1, I'm I'm not referring to sort of a, a vague sense that you get, that maybe the, kind of the wave that comes over you, you have an important decision, and you're trying to think through, what do I do, what do I do? And then you sort of get this sense, oh, maybe I should do that. Is that that's not what I'm referring to. And I'm not even referring to, to an audible voice, uh, certainly not referring to writing on the wall. Psalm 19 describes how our God still speaks, how he still communicates with human beings. In fact, it tells us that our God is not silent. That in fact he is eager to talk to us, to communicate to us. God is eager to speak to you this morning. Now you might wonder why, why is that important? Why, why, do, why do you need this reassurance that our God still speaks and that he's eager to speak to you this morning? Well, the truth is, because you will go through seasons of your life, some of them a lot longer than you want, where you will wonder that. You will wonder, is God silent? You may have difficulty hearing from him, perhaps due to your own neglect, or ignorance, or willful sin, or some bit of suffering, or because of all the noise and the distractions. It's going to be very difficult to hear God's voice. You may look around and say, well, it seems like he's speaking to this person, and it seems like he's moving in this person's life, but... He's not doing that with me. And perhaps you find yourself there this morning. If so, Psalm 19 is a song of great reassurance. It's actually a song of great hope because it tells us that our God is not silent. That in fact, he's still speaking to us. And yes, brothers and sisters, our great need then is to have eyes to see him and ears to hear his voice in the middle of a whole lot of noise. 
I think that's actually one of the reasons why Psalm 19 is, for many Christians, their favorite psalm. And perhaps uh, it is for you. C.S. Lewis called Psalm 19 the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It would actually be very hard to scan or even read through Psalm 19 and be completely bored. Nothing going on, no big deal. My stomach's growling. I wonder what's for, for lunch today. I'm not saying that can't happen. But there is a treasure chest of spiritual resources here provided in this psalm if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. There are really two parts uh, to this psalm that will help us understand how God speaks. Here's the first. God speaks through his creation. He speaks through his creation. This is verses 1 through 6. Let me read it again because it is it's breathtakingly beautiful. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words, how far? To the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy, it's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David begins essentially by looking up, and he looks up into the sky, and he says that the visible heavens are talking, if you will. They are speaking, they're communicating something, and they are communicating something very specific. The wide expanse of the sky is speaking. And it's not a message from Mother Nature. It's not from some impersonal force in the universe, and so we, you know, let's all go outside, look up, and just maybe we'll come to our own conclusion about what's going on. According to verse 1, the heavens communicate something very specific. The glory of God. The glory of God is on display. Every time you lift up your eyes... And see the sky above. God has declared a message to all people through his creation. And that message is his glory. Now the Bible talks a lot about glory from beginning to end. Namely the glory of God. Or God's glory. And in its most, uh, by way, like a simple definition, glory simply means weightiness. Or importance. So whatever you give weight to, whatever you give importance to, whatever you deem significant, well, that is what is glorious to you. So when you look up and are overwhelmed by the beauty and the greatness and the majesty of the sky above you, you are supposed to, to know, you're supposed to understand that God is getting your attention. That God is, in fact, speaking to you. You're seeing his glory on display. A few weeks ago, uh, we, Brinkmans, went to uh, Glacier National Park, and we wandered on there for a few days. I know many of you have been there. Uh, beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. I mean, it's like we had a front row seat to what David's talking about here, right? A front row seat to God's creation. And so there's, there's the, the mountains and the alpine lakes and the bighorn sheep and the, the wildflowers, and there wasn't any smoke. <laughs> All of it was glorious, and you know what else was glorious? Huckleberry ice cream. <laughs> Every day. That was also glorious. But all of that pointed, not to Mother Nature. We didn't wander around and say, wow, what a, this is great. This random group of molecules became friends and somehow this is what, what happened. No, it all pointed to a personal God who, who loves to display his glory, his importance with people like us. And so the, we, we, we enjoyed a couple days, some good long hikes, and, and it, was, it was pretty busy, as you can imagine. It's, it's August, and so there's hundreds, if not thousands of people doing what we're doing. But I wondered, with all those people wandering around Glacier National Park, I wondered if, if any of them understood that, in fact, God was speaking to them, that he was revealing himself, that he was actually getting their attention Sadly, I think many were there just to hike up a mountain, take some selfies, post them on Instagram without any thought at all that God might be actually trying to communicate with them. So when you hike 
in a place like Glacier, when you wander around Riverside State Park, go up Mount Spokane, when you just take a stroll through your neighborhood maybe this afternoon, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful day for a walk. Like, what comes to your mind? Do you think about God at all? Because David looks up and he looks around and he says, wow, God, that's your work. That's your handiwork. You are real. You went public with your glory. And it's not like God just turns his glory on and off, like he has a switch in heaven. No, God's glory in creation never stops. Day to day, verse 2, and night to night, it keeps bubbling over. So his glory in creation can't help but overflow and bubble over. Jonathan Edwards, theologian Jonathan Edwards said, it's not a mark of deficiency for a fountain to overflow. That's what fountains do. That's what they're designed to do. And it's, it's not a mark of deficiency for God's glory and creation just to overflow, to keep bubbling over. He's constantly communicating, proclaiming the wonders of his hand. They're just bubbling over with his glory. Now this communication from God is far more impressive than your best cell phone data plan. I mean, maybe you have a really good data plan, you got really good cell phone coverage, that's great. I mean, I think I have a pretty decent plan, although I know there are spots where I know my call is going to be dropped. In fact, I've talked to some of you. It's like between Pines and Argonne, and I-90, where I just know there's a dead spot, at least with my plan, and so if I'm talking to you, you're not gonna hear anything for 10, 15 seconds, and the call's probably gonna be dropped. David is saying here, there's no dead spot where the glory of God in creation is not seen. God has a global network of communication that never goes down. There's no intermittent signals. There's no delay. In fact, verse 3, there is no place not to receive this communication. Even more, verse 4 God's speaking, his voice speaking through his creation goes to the end of the world. That's a long way. His network of communication never needs to be repaired. There's no limit on the data. You don't even have to have a cell phone. You don't need to be rich. You don't need to be affluent. It's accessible to everyone. No one is left out. Anyone can see the glory of God in the heavens. Every human being has access. Because the heavens are constantly speaking to us. They are declaring a very specific message, the glory of God and the work of God. You know that God didn't have to design his world like that? But he did. What a kind God that we worship. What a generous God. But what do, you, what do you think that says about God? I think it says a lot of things. This is probably for another sermon, which, by the way, I reserve the, the right to come back to this. There's so much in this text. So at some point, you will hear multiple sermons probably from this very text. But what does this say about God? At the very least, it says this. God is eager to speak to you. He delights to communicate with you. He, he knows you, and he desires a relationship with you. The heavens declare that. David here is bubbling over himself, I think, with enthusiasm at this point as he continues to look up at the night sky and see God's creation in verses 5 and 6. He gives us a couple of metaphors here to describe how the sun appears to us mortal human beings on planet earth. He says, verse 5, the sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his bridal chamber, waiting to see his bride. It's brilliant. It's joyful. I mean, that is, that's a precious, that's a beautiful moment, isn't it, if you've ever been to weddings? I've officiated many weddings. I really love to do weddings. But you know what would severely, severely dampen my enthusiasm? Is if when, when, the, when, the, when the groom comes out here and we stand at the front of the church and the doors open up at the back of the church and here comes his bride and I look over at the groom and he's scowling. 
or he's frowning, or he's pouting. Now, praise God, that hasn't happened yet. But David's saying here, no, that's, that's, that's a joyful thing. That's a, that's a beautiful moment to behold. And so every morning the sun comes up. It's like, that's, that's beautiful. We ought to be able to see that that's God's glory. Every, every morning we see the sun. The sun is also like a strong man, like an athlete running its course. Everyone sees it. Everyone feels its warmth, its greatness shines bright. So is there anywhere on planet Earth who doesn't see the light of the sun? Is there any person on planet Earth who doesn't see the light of the sun? And the answer is no. It shines bright on every corner of the globe with such power that we can't even look directly at it. It's the power of the sun. Now, I know for many of you uh, students here, I'm addressing you, you're back in school or you will be back in school this week, so take this as a, a public service announcement from your parents at school. It's important, so go to school because you learn stuff. You can learn all kinds of really cool things. I, one of the fun parts of studying uh, this particular psalm this last week because I feel like I learned some, some things about God's creation and how he put it together and how if he doesn't know what he's doing, we're in deep weeds. So I took a pretty deep dive one morning uh, on the internet. I was reminded that the internet is also very, very big. It's not hard to take a deep dive. Uh, it, but some things on the internet are true. And here's one of them. Did you know? I, I really learned a few things about God's sun and about God's earth. Did you know that the earth receives 120,000 terawatts of energy from the sun every single day? I mean, you could tweet that out. Some of you are saying, what is a what? A terawatt. 120,000 terawatts every single day of energy. So you know what a terawatt is? So just go with me on this. So I want you to picture Niagara Falls. I mean, this is really fun. If science was, if I learned this since, I would have done way better at science. I mean, it's not my, it's my fault, but anyway. <laughs> picture Niagara Falls. If you've never been there, I want to encourage you to go there at some point. And if you go there, I'm not saying this just because I'm Canadian, but it's Horseshoe Falls on the Canadian side that you'll get this. You don't get it on the American side. Horseshoe Falls. You'll go there and you see what? A lot of water coming over every meter every second. So multiply that flow by 20. So basically, you have a kilometer high of water. It's a big wall of water coming over every meter every second. You with me? Now you need to, it's not just like 10 tons coming over or 30 tons coming over. Now it's, it's 300 tons of water coming over every meter every second. That's in the falls. Now what we need to do to get to a terawatt, we need to widen the falls so that it stretches across a continent. But that's not enough either. So now we need to, to widen it. So here's what we have. Still with me? We have a kilometer high of water that's constantly flowing 300 trillion tons every meter, every second, coming over that stretches all the way across to the equator. That is 120,000 terawatts of energy. So that's what the sun constantly pours out on planet Earth every single day. I mean, I find that incredible. I mean, most of us, we're thinking, okay, that's a lot of energy. I'm just looking for energy to get out of bed in the morning and energy to get back in bed safely. God is so big. He's so powerful. And praise God that he knows exactly how many terawatts of energy it takes. If, do you know what would happen if we didn't get 120,000 uh, 20, terawatts of energy from the sun every single day? Bad things. God's got it. So if you're a Christian here this morning, God has surrounded you with a very large hymn book. It's his creation. And so wherever you are, day or night, you can look up and see the majesty and the glory of God he is speaking to you. He is speaking to us through his creation. Can you see that? And do you have eyes to see that? And will you be moved to praise him for that? And if you're here this morning and you're not quite sure 
Maybe you're not quite sure if there is a God. And you're wrestling through, trying to make sense of your life and the world. You are actually still responsible for what the skies have been telling you since the very day of your birth. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Paul said, look, his, he's talking about God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Everybody sees it. Ever since the creation of the world, here's what Paul says, in the things that have been made. So they, that is every human being, they are without excuse. Do you have eyes to see the God who's been trying to get your attention since the day that you were born? Perhaps for some of you here this morning, one of the best things that you can do for your soul and for your spiritual life is to put your phone down, silence your notifications, take a long walk in the woods this afternoon. Admire the squirrels. God made them. That's his work. Notice the bird perched in the tree. Maybe in a few weeks you can frolic in the fields in the, in the Palouse. And praise God for all of it. That's the point. We see God's glory in creation. And there's a response. It's not ho-hum, no big deal. <gasps> I'm bored. It's to praise God. It's actually to worship him. But that's, that's difficult for us, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, many of us have a, have a complicated relationship with God's creation, even with nature itself. I'm uh, generalizing here, but it seems like we've got extremes. We either care very little about it at all or we're, we worship it. So on the one hand, we're, we're not to despise nature or to, or to fail to care reverently for it, but on the other hand, we're, we're not to hike through the mountains or rest at a beautiful stream and start bending the knee and worship that. No, we need to see beyond that to the God who created it. God is speaking every single day through his creation. Now, theologians refer to, to that, how God speaks, especially here in verses 1 through 6, as God's general revelation. That is, God speaks generally to every human being through his creation. So we can know that God is the creator. We can know that he's real. We can know that he exists. We can know that he is big. And he's powerful. But we cannot know God the redeemer simply through nature. So if you're hiking around Glacier, you look up at the mountain, you can't know just by looking at a mountain that we are sinners who have rebelled against God. We are in need of rescue and redemption. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross to absorb the wrath that we deserve to be saved from our sins. And we need to hear God speaking specifically, specially to us. We need his special revelation, which, which outlines everything I just said. His glorious plan of salvation. And so for that, well, we turn to the scriptures then. We turn to the very word of God, and that is the second way that God speaks, and that he continues to speak to us through his word. Let me read verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Again, David is saying creation can tell us that God is real, that he is powerful, that he exists, but it's, it's only the Bible, God's word, that can tell us about his saving grace. So in verses 7 through 14, David, he, he, he gets very personal here. He, he actually uses the name of God, it's Yahweh in the Hebrew there, multiple times, six times in verses 7, 8, 9, he uses it again in verse 14. His point is, David's showing us that, that indeed, 
The heavens show us our creator, but our Bibles show us our savior and our need for him. Because only the Bible, David says, can refresh the soul and enlighten the spiritually blind. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving what? The soul. And again, in the Hebrew there, it's reviving the self. In other words, the the true self. It's the word psyche. Only the, the word of God has the power to both reveal and restore our true self, really our true identity, the real you. Yet we're prone to look elsewhere to try and figure out who we are and our purpose on this earth and why we exist. And we, oftentimes we do that. It's an endless pursuit because we leave God right out of the picture. That doesn't revive your soul. It actually runs roughshod over your soul. The truth is, brothers and sisters, you and I cannot and will not be able to figure out who we are, our true self, apart from knowing God the creator and God the redeemer, the God who has redeemed you. And so David is saying here, well, trust God, trust his word. Because his word doesn't simply inform. God's word doesn't just tell us a whole bunch of random facts about God. No, in fact, God's word changes us. God's word transforms us. So are you weary this morning? Maybe a little burnt out because there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of distraction. God's word is blameless. It is perfect. There's no defect. It can restore life to your weary soul and to your weary self. In fact, if you keep reading in verse 7... The word of God, the law of the Lord, the Torah there is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now, in the original language there, it's much more in your face. It's much more combative. Literally, the word of God takes dumb people and makes them smarter. That's the effect of reading and meditating on the word of God. It takes spiritually dumb people and transforms them slowly, little by little, into spiritually smarter people. That's actually called wisdom. And we need it way more than we think. Wisdom is the skill of godly living in a very noisy world. And we need God's wisdom for life in this world very noisy world. We need God's wisdom for our marriages. One of the hardest things I think in marriage is to learn how to have really hard, potentially emotionally intense conversations with your spouse and to do it without sinning. One of the hardest things to do in parenting is to have hard, intense, emotionally charged conversations with your kids and to do it without sinning. And kids, same thing. We need wisdom. We need God's wisdom. Maybe you've come into a bunch of money. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Most of us are like, uh, no, I haven't. Who are you talking about? Well, at some point you might. You're going to need wisdom from the Lord to know what to do with that. Don't be foolish with that. We have all sorts of things. You can go through your day-to-day activities of hobbies and leisure activities and so on and so forth. We need God's wisdom. Because we are so very simple. Now, this is not going to come as a surprise to anybody in this room, but I'm not the guy you're going to call for tech support. If you've got gerbils in your Wi-Fi system, something's going, you're not going to pick up the phone and say, hey, Jeff, I, I've got some technical issues. I'm really hoping you could help me. Don't call me. In fact, if you did, I would probably seriously question your wisdom. <laughs> Why? You know me. Several months ago, probably half a year ago now, I, uh, I had to, and I, I say had to, I had to get a Facebook account because we were away, one of my daughters, there was some information that was only on that platform, and so it was time sensitive, and so I needed to do it, so I, whatever I did on my phone, and so I got a Facebook account. I probably should have told you this 
uh, months ago. But since that point, I, mean, I haven't done anything with Facebook. I don't even know how to do anything with Facebook. But I'm getting all of these friend requests of people that I haven't, I, I, I vaguely remember the name, but then there's also been some of you who have reached out. And, and I just want to say, I want to be your friend. And so you're probably thinking, man, I sent Brinkman a friend request like months ago, and he probably unfriended me. And that's not what I'm doing. Here, here's what I'm doing. I am so simple. I am trying to unfriend me. And I don't even know how to do that. It's like, love God, love neighbor, unfriend me. Very, very simple. But I love to be around wise people who know what they're doing. You can learn from them. Wise, I think you like to be around wise people too, don't you? People who know when to speak and when to be silent. People, wise people who know when to press in and when to wait. Wise people who know when to rebuke and when to encourage. Wise people who know when to challenge and when to refrain. All of this takes wisdom. Are, are you that kind of person, that kind of wise person, God speaks through his word to make us wise for life. His word makes foolish people wise, wise for godliness, and wise for living in a world that desperately needs wise people. So you read his word, you meditate on his word. Is there enough space in your life, to, to actually hear from the Lord as he speaks in his word. Again, there's all kinds of tools to help you in this, and we'd love to talk with you about, you know, we have a five-minute Bible reading plan, a ten-minute, you know, three-and-a-half-minute, whatever. I mean, those are all very, very helpful. I follow some of those myself. But this is a heart movement first. Just a heart that says, Lord, I'm, I'm simple, and you have provided your word to make me wise. So I'm saying this in love, brothers and sisters. There, there are a lot of motivations for reading and meditating on God's word. A lot of scriptural motivations to honor God, to fear God, to worship him as part of our act of service. There's dozens of biblical motivations. Here's a very practical one. Read God's word so you're not dumb. In order for you to be wise, to live a wise life, you have to accept that God's word is true and trustworthy in its entirety, in all of its parts. And so that's, that's really David's point in verses 8 through 11 here. David shows us the value of God's word and its practical effect on our lives. It is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is truly desirable. It is sweet. It's rewarding. Well, you, you hear that, and don't you think that, that would seem to constitute a good life, doesn't it? I mean, we all want that kind of life, do we not? We want to live an enjoyable, meaningful, rewarding life that actually counts, and so that desire can drive us into a whole number of different things, into certain career paths or relationships or hobbies and pursuits. And these are not necessarily all bad or sinful paths, but they ultimately don't lead to what we actually want because there's always another turn. There's always another fork in the road. There's something that we didn't anticipate. There's something that we couldn't get our heads around. We don't deal with that well. What David is saying here is that God speaks through his word, the scriptures, and his word is the right path. In fact, it is the only path that you want to get on and stay on because God's word is true. It's reliable. It will never lead you or me or us astray. And it won't because God's word ultimately leads us to God himself. That's what makes it so desirable and reliable and rewarding because we, we get God. And when you find God, then you actually find life. The life that you are looking for. The life that you want to live in the first place. Verse 10, David says God's word is so much more satisfying and more desirable than all the gold you can imagine or all the money in the world. I think that's hard for us to get our heads around. I'm not going to assume that you're saying there, yeah, I totally agree with that. Because if you're honest, 
I mean, we want to agree with that, but the truth may be hidden. But David says God's word is so much more beneficial than all the riches and the money in the universe. God's word, in fact, is the greatest treasure for those that love him. So let's be honest. And maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, you know what, I, I, I don't really love God's word, and I don't really treasure it like that. Not like David does here. I want you to know that that's okay. It's okay if you don't. I'd rather you be honest this morning and not fake it. I'm pretty sure God would appreciate being honest before him and not just go through the motions or fake it. But I also want to encourage you to keep coming back on Sunday mornings. God will be faithful to reveal himself and his character. Keep rubbing your nose in God's word because he will be faithful to reveal more of himself and more of his character. Don't give up. Because in the, in the word of God, you catch a glimpse of God. You catch a glimpse of his glory. But don't play games with him. God and his word are not meant to be trifled with. God is not silent. He's eager to speak to you. He's still speaking. But are, are you listening? Am I listening? Are we as a church really listening to hear God? Psalm 19 ends with, well, it actually ends with a prayer. It's really a plea from David. It's his response to seeing the glory of God in creation and really the glory of God in his word. Verse 12, David says, who can discern his errors? That's a great question. David's saying, who, who, who's going to tell me when I'm wrong or when I don't have it right or when I'm not putting the pieces together? We don't have the power to self-diagnose. We, we can't recognize our faults, at least not very quickly. And when someone takes the initiative, hopefully in love, to point out our errors or our faults or our sins, so often our first response is to say, well, no, no, that's not right. That's the, uh, no. You're wrong. We're masters of self-deception. And we listen to ourselves far too much. But the word of God cuts through that fog. It cuts through the self-deception. Who can discern? Well, we're not going to be able to do it, but the word of God does. Especially if there's a lot of noise within. Declare me innocent of hidden sins. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Church, I wonder, I wonder when the last time was that perhaps you prayed something like that. Or, or maybe part of your prayer, part of your communication, your response to God was, was to pray words like this. That sounded like this, Lord, make me aware of hidden sins that I've ignored and make me aware of arrogant sins that I've enjoyed. Keep me from both. Protect me from both. Guard me from both. That's going to take a lot of humility to pray like that. You really have to believe in God. You really have to believe the gospel. It takes guts. Lord, show me my hidden sins that I've ignored and show me those arrogant sins that I have enjoyed. And in your grace and mercy, keep me from both of those. David's prayer ends here in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, it is a noisy world. We cannot control that, but you know what we can control? Whether or not God's word is actually getting into our hearts. God does give us responsibility for that. And the fact that you're here says that you get that. Praise God. And I hope you're here next week. I hope I'm here next week. God still speaks through his creation, we see his glory. God speaks through his word. We hear him. And so our response, our response is to obey him. Heartfelt, sincere, courageous obedience. But we don't often do that or always do that, do we? 
one man did. Where we failed, he succeeded, Jesus. So here again at the end of Psalm 19, we, we have a window into the heart of Jesus. Jesus is the great servant who was blameless and innocent of great transgressions. He never sinned, not even once. Jesus could appeal to God with complete confidence and say, declare me innocent of hidden faults. And God the Father said, I can. You're right. You are. The words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart were always acceptable, always perfectly acceptable, holy in God's sight, verse 14. So in Jesus, we have our Redeemer. We have our Savior that we desperately need. Creation is pointing to him. The word of God points to him. Psalm 19 points to Jesus. Yes, it points to our need to be forgiven when we don't praise him as we ought to, when we don't love his word, when we don't treasure his word as we're commanded to. Psalm 19 points us to Jesus when we don't glorify him as we are supposed to and as we should. Since Jesus was acceptable in God's sight, well, then we actually have hope. Because then we can be saved. Since Jesus was completely innocent and pure, he could die on a cross for sinners to give us actually life. The life that I know you want because it's the life that I want too. So we must turn to Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, Have mercy on us, I pray. Lord, you, you continue to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you that you do. Thank you that you haven't stopped speaking to us. Even when we have wandered away, even when we have wanted to hear other voices that we deemed more important than yours, Lord, you are so faithful, you, you've not given up on us. You continue to speak in your creation. You, you speak in your word. God, I pray for my own heart. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that, in fact, we would have soft hearts to hear you, to really listen, and to respond with worship and heartfelt obedience. Work that in our hearts this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The good news of the gospel is, is really good news. For every person here, it's good news for people like that. The gospel reminds us that it's, it's okay to, well, to not be okay. Now, it's not okay to stay there. It's okay to confess that you fall short. It's okay to confess that you sin, that you don't measure up. It's okay to confess that you don't always praise God like he tells us to. That you don't always treasure the word of God as we need to. Confession of sin, brothers and sisters, invites God's grace. It doesn't keep us from God. It invites us into his holy chamber where there's grace and his help and his mercy and his power. And so communion is really a celebration of the good news of the gospel, that gospel that rings true, that says God understood he knows that we are not okay, and he actually did something about it. He didn't just leave us there, but in his grace, he provided a savior. He sent Jesus from heaven to earth to live the life that we were created to live, but couldn't. To die on a cross as the perfect spotless lamb of God to save sinners like us who deserve death. And when we put our faith in the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, we are forgiven cleansed, restored, renewed, refreshed. We're made happy, eternally happy. So if that doesn't describe you, please refrain from receiving communion. I'm really glad that you're here this morning. Would love to speak with you a little bit more about this God who is speaking to you. Perhaps has been trying to get your attention for a long, long time. In just a minute, I'll invite you forward. We have both uh, wine and grape juice up here. Uh, you can come on up, take a piece. We'll have the aisles go first here. 
uh, and then you can return to your seat. You can take the elements then, and then center aisle, you can come through. We've got two stations here, so if somebody's here, you can just make your way through here, and then you can return to your seat. Before we do that, I just want to give us a chance to, I want to create a little bit of time and space here this morning for the Lord to speak and to continue to speak and for us to really listen. And so this, you, you may have, you know every one of us has a prayer that we know we should pray. So let's pray that prayer. And perhaps it is a, a prayer of confession. Maybe it is that your prayer will be this, Lord, make me aware of hidden sins that I've ignored and make me aware of arrogant sins that I've enjoyed. Keep me from both. Give me grace. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be merciful. Heavenly Father, thank you for hearing prayers of need, confession of sin, asking you for help, asking you for wisdom, asking you for divine grace, for strength, for the week ahead. Thank you for speaking, for always speaking truth into our noisy and oftentimes distracted hearts. Don't stop speaking to us, Lord. Because our lives really depend on hearing your voice, on listening, and on obeying. So give us sufficient grace to do that this day and this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I invite you to come forward.